This is a recording containing a talk given to a large group of ladies in Akron, Ohio, by Mrs. Frida Teichrob. Frida is the mother of three grown children. Together with her husband Henry, they form the lay part of the Satara Revival Crusade team. This talk is entitled Depression. It was greatly used of the Lord to speak to many ladies' hearts. Requests for this talk were so numerous that this recording was produced. As you listen to it, may I suggest that you open your heart and mind and allow the Spirit of God to minister to you through these words. We want to share together here today, and I want to tell you right at the outset, if you came here to listen to someone who's got a great deal of knowledge and education and psychology uh, classes as far as um, uh, depression is concerned, I don't. I hope you're not disappointed, but I don't. I don't have any 20th century education as far as depression is concerned. But I'll tell you something. God met my own heart in November of 1971 and really answered some tremendous prayers for me personally. And since that time, I have been working with ladies. You wouldn't have caught me in a ladies' group before. I just couldn't, you know, find interest to become part of a ladies' group. I thought, oh boy, another circle and another gossip session and all these little things, you know, that I thought, you know, were, were familiar to ladies' groups, and I wasn't really interested. And then when I worked in business, of course, I always worked with men, and a, I was a very, very proud person. But since that time, it seems as if I've been in a lot of ladies' meetings. We started these meetings in the city of Regina, where I come from, and the Lord started to meet ladies' hearts. You know, I came to the very first ladies' meeting like this, and uh, someone stopped me at the door and said, Frida, there's a lady here, and she's been going to Alcoholic Anonymous for 10 years, and it's very well that she could be here today, and she could be under the influence of liquor, and we may have to uh, help her even to walk. She's really in a bad way. And I thought to myself, don't tell me about that. I can't help people like that. I don't even want to, you know. But that morning, you know, as we were talking about, you know, sharing our bearing each other's burdens, which the Bible talks about, and about sharing our joys, and uh, this lady stood up and she said, I don't know what salvation is. And she told about her life and she told how, how she was in such desperate bondage to her drinking and how her husband was just the same and how they had a seven-year-old son, and if he didn't get a beating from his dad, he got one from his mother, because, uh, uh, you know, that's just the way things were. And about eight or nine ladies went to pray, and so I was going to go and pray with them, and you know what happened, don't you? I got right next to this girl, and so I sat with her the most of that morning and talked with her, and she accepted the Lord as her Savior, and you know, I just couldn't get over what a change came over her face. Her whole face just changed. And so when we came to have lunch together like we're going to today, I said, Maureen, why don't you tell these people what you just did? And she said, I don't understand all this language. Be saved. You know what that is? But she said, I want to tell you something. I feel like the burdens of the world are lifted from my shoulders, and I know today that I have a presence in my life, and you call it the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I saw her, well, I guess it was about a year and three months after that, and I just couldn't believe it. 
I just couldn't believe it. There was such a change in her life. And the minute she saw me, she made one beeline for me, and she says, you know what? We've got a brand new home. She says, my husband has been saved, and my husband has been set free. And so has my little boy. She has a Bible study in her home. And so, you know, God met her heart. And, you know, it was through things like that that I really believed that God was doing things in ladies' hearts. And if I had the privilege of being part of it, I was just going to say yes to the Lord. There was a time in January of 1972 that I was asked to go and do a ladies' meeting 800 miles from where I lived, and the only way I could get there was by plane. And I said, you know, this is getting a little bit ridiculous. Because for one thing, it's January, and it gets a little cold up there in January, like, you know, about 30, 40, 43 below. It was 43 degrees below zero when I actually did go and to the airport and take a plane for this, this part of the Canada where I was going where we could only fly in in the winter. And, you know, it was at that time I said to my husband, this is a little ridiculous to have a ladies' meeting 800 miles away from home. After all, who'd do that? And he said to me, now, honey, he said, um, just how deep is your commitment? What would you really do for the Lord, you know? And so I began to say, well, you know, I have this, I have that, I have a job, and I have a lot of things to take care of, and besides which, I don't have that kind of money. But, you know, I couldn't sleep very well, and I began to pray about this, and I began to ask the Lord if it really was what he wanted me to do, and I did end up going to this ladies' meeting. I shut every door around me. I want you to know that because I didn't think it was reasonable. But God opened the doors, and I went to that, to that place, and I stayed there for two and a half weeks, and I had a ladies' meeting every day except Saturday and Sunday. And so that really launched me into a ministry where I saw God work. Now, here we are today, and we want to talk a little bit about depression. I, I don't know you, and I'm absolutely certain that there are ladies here today in this ladies' meeting who know something about depression. Well, I do too. I know something about depression. I told you, some of you, that, and I also told in the night I gave my testimony here, that about 10 years I had an illness that was just really nothing. And it didn't turn out real good. I had to have a surgery that should have been absolutely nothing, just plain old gallbladder surgery. A lot of people have that. And uh, everything went in reverse. And by a year later, I was really in bad shape. Something had happened to my liver. And so I was sent from city hospital to university hospital, and I had a lot of doctors trying to take care of me, and I had some more surgery, and things didn't get any better. And, of course, during the course of that time, I got kind of down to skin and bones. I guess I was about 89 pounds, and I was strapped to a stretcher and sent to Mayo Clinic. And I was there for some time, and over a period of three years, I was just hovering, you know, on the machines that medical science has made. And it was during that time that the Lord really spoke to me one night when I realized that I was stripped of every earthly thing. Do you know what that feels like? I really can't explain it to you. But I knew that medical science was gone. I knew that my family, I had to part with them. Really, I had already. I couldn't help myself. And I knew that I was alone with God. And you know, it was really wonderful. It really was. It was just really wonderful. And it was at that time that a tremendous hunger started in my life 
to know God and to really know him. And it was quite a while before I ever heard, you know, from someone's lips that God can really be real to you today, to you. And that's really my question to you today. You know, I've been doing a lot of reading since that time. And I've also talked to thousands of people. And I've talked to many, many ladies who are depressed. Now, I presume today here that I'm talking to ladies, and I presume that all of you, or perhaps almost all of you, have accepted the Lord as your personal Savior. You would say to you, to yourself and to me, yes, I am a Christian. Now, if you are not sure about that, and if there are some doubts in your life, about whether you are a true Christian, about whether you really are born again, I want to tell you you're in the right place today. You most certainly are. You're here by God's divine appointment. That is the greatest decision that you can make in your life, that you accept the Lord as your personal Savior and put you on the way to glory. Yes, that's right. I want to tell you something. Sometimes, you know, it's hard for us to admit, but we're sinners. We're not sinners because of what we do. We're not sinners because of, you know, all kinds of circumstances. We're just plain sinners. That's how it is. Your grandfather and mine, Adam, in the Garden of Eden, he disobeyed God. And as a result, we're sinners. And God made a way for us. He emptied heaven and just sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for your sin and mine. And the greatest decision you can make is to accept him into your heart and into your life as your personal Savior. I want you to know that. If you have any more questions about that, don't you leave here today until that's absolutely settled, that you're born again, that you're a Christian, and you're on the way to heaven. I want to be sure that everybody knows that. I know that all around us people are looking, and they're watching the Christians, and they say, well, if that's Christianity, you can keep it. The church is full of hypocrites. Well, you've got to be smaller than a hypocrite to hide behind one. Somebody said that to me, and it was kind of like a bolt out of the blue, and I thought, well, I never thought about that, but I've certainly done a wonderful job of, you know, knowing who are the hypocrites in the church. But you know what? Today I want to ask you this. I want to ask you to be really, really honest. Never mind who you came with. God will deal with the person you came with, who's beside you, behind you, Whatever your situation is, I want to ask you if you'll be completely honest before God and see what God has to say. Do you know what? We know a whole lot of theology, and it's stacked up in our mind. And we know lots and lots of answers. So do I. I went to Bible college, and I know lots and lots of answers. And we can talk about a lot of things, but it's not until... We possess something wholeheartedly that we can really be on an authority on what we're saying. And you know, you've probably talked to people who have had some real bad days, and you know how people get so very, very depressed, and they finally they have to go to bed, and finally they have to go to hospital, and finally they have to have all kinds of treatments. And you know how it goes, don't you? I don't have to tell you all about those kind of things. But, you know, God has something to say to us about that. Let me ask you something. Is your life today something like was in John chapter 6? And it says that there was a storm, and even was come. 
And his, the disciples went to the sea, and they entered into a ship, and they went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark. Is that how your life is today? And Jesus was not come to them, and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So they were in trouble. Hmm? It was dark, there was a storm, and there was a great wind that blew. You know something about that. And so, there they were. And you know, in that very same chapter of John chapter 6, Jesus said to them, Be not afraid, it is I. Well, you know, I'll tell you what. Do you know something about anxiety? Do you know something about afflictions? What about burdens? Anybody ever had any of those? Some people here today would say, well, you know, God has really spoken to me about bitterness in my heart. Now, you know, if we put on the billboard of the church and said there's going to be a crusade at Arlington Memorial Church for backsliders, I don't suppose anybody would be here because nobody's a backslider. But, you know, some of us have come to the place where we're honest enough to say, well, I'm certainly not living in victory, and I can't say that I'm a victorious Christian, and I guess I'd actually have to admit that I'm a backslider. Well, a backslider is a one who is filled with his own ways. That's what the Bible talks about, a backslider. Do you know something about distresses? Do you know something about debt? Debt, you know, bills that you can't cover? you know something about divisions in the church? Anybody here ever had any enemies? Anybody here ever been envious, you know, jealous about something? Let me ask you something. Has anybody ever humiliated you, humiliated you in front of someone? What about insulted you? Isn't that amazing? All these things. And you know, do you know anything about poverty? I guess some, some people do know something about poverty, but really most of us don't know too much about poverty. We've always had something to wear. And we've always had something to eat. And you know, there's not too much of that. Yet we know that there is such a thing as poverty. And maybe you found yourself in a situation like that. Do you know something about temptation? There's some people here who know something about temptation. Some people here have been really set free from some things that they call the habits. And God said to them, look at that sin. It's your enemy. And I'm going to set you free. And so, you know, there's other different ways of temptations in our lives. And then, you know, we have troubles. Have you ever thought about the word trouble? I've been thinking about the word trouble lately. I heard people say, oh, that's too much trouble. Or, you know, my, I'm just in a heap of trouble. And I've been thinking about the word trouble and what it really means, you know, and how it really applies and affects our lives. Well, do you know what it's like to just sit and weep and weep and cry and weep and finally just Get into bed and cover your head with a sheet and just shut the whole world out from you. You know something about those kind of things? Those are the kind of things. And listen, I'll tell you something. I've got about 90 more things written down here that I haven't even mentioned to you, from which come depression. That's right. From which come depression. Now, let me ask you something about that. Let me ask you answer this question. Do you think that God actually knows about that? Yes, I know that, you know, it's hard for you to say that, but God does. Now, I'll tell you what, if you really want proof, 
You take Psalm 139 and you read it. I want to tell you something else. As I'm talking to you today, if you want to write down some of the things that I believe that the Lord has shown me, which I haven't studied from a book, but that God has shown us in these days of talking to people, some of the scriptures that have really come alive, you write them down. And if you need to read them when you go home, you know what to do. Read them. And if you're not sure whether God does know all about these things, then you get yourself off in a corner somewhere, sit down, and read Psalm 139 out loud. That's right. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about your heart. You know, our heart is the center, our center of our very life, right? Our emotional center. You know how your heart beats real fast when you get into a situation? You know, certain circumstances. And you know, our will, everybody here has one, I presume. You may not think so. But if you're anything like me, you got an iron one. I do. And I don't like to admit that, but I know I have an iron will. When you've got Jewish and German blood into you, you've got to have an iron will. There's just no other way. And I had to tell the Lord that I have an iron will. And it's with my iron will that I make decisions. That's right. It's with my iron will that I make decisions. And you know, my mind is like a great filing system. So is yours. And in the filing system of your mind, you've got all kinds of things collected there in the conscious and in the subconscious. And that's why in these days, people have gone back to when they were eight years old and ten years old, and they've remembered something that they did in a very underhanded way, and they've had to make restitution for it so that they could really have a clean heart and a clean conscience. Now, you know, that's a marvelous way to live. And I know some people are really finding out about that. Let me ask you something. Do you know anything about anger? Let me ask you something. Again, we come up with this thing called bitterness, you know, bitterness in our hearts. And I find that everywhere I go, the greatest thing that I believe that, that besets a lady is resentment. Now, you may not know just how to define that, but I find that that's in the heart of many ladies. And along with that, I want to say to you that for all the men that I've talked to, and I haven't talked to any, nearly as many men as my husband has, I believe that men have a great problem with pride. They just won't say, well, I was wrong. You know, it's awfully hard for a man to say that. Now, listen, God knows that. And boy, haven't you tried to get him to say he was wrong, huh? (laughs) And you just haven't been able to do it without having a real hassle. But anyway, I'll tell you what. And then we talk a little bit about resent, uh, envy. You know, that jealousy comes up again. And then out comes the criticism, you know. And you know that all stems from anger, criticism. Oh, listen, God showed me such a critical heart when they brought these meetings to the city of Regina and they had them in a church. And you think, I would go to that church? Listen, can I make a real confession to you? And I don't hardly ever do this. And I know that since I've been here, I realize that around Akron, there are several Christian and Missionary Alliance churches. Well, we have some too. But I happen to be a Baptist. And so if they want to do something, they should do it in the Baptist church and not go to the Christian Missionary Alliance. Now, I had to pass that church every Sunday we went by it. And they built a big church, and I knew that it cost a lot of money. And I knew that a lot of the people there that were in business in that church couldn't afford it. And I said, look at the money they're pouring into that church. 
My, look at that lady. She's got more hat than lady. My word, you know it's the grandchildren are going to pay the mortgage on that church. They're spending so much money on it. And every Sunday morning, it seemed like when I went past there and saw them putting up this big, beautiful church, I had to make some smart remark about it. Guess what? They bought, brought the revival meeting to Regina to the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. I'll tell you, that's something for the pride of a Baptist. It really is. And I know some of you people who are Baptists know exactly what I'm talking about. You're just not so sure, even right now as you sit here, if they had taken those meetings to one of the Christian Missionary Alliance churches here, you maybe just would not have gone. You just maybe wouldn't have. And yet, you know, God really put me on the spot and all these things. And I went, and oh, what a joy I've had to go back to that church and stand on their platform and tell those people, you know, I can tell you with a heart as free as a bird, I love you. And that's just a tremendous way to live. Well, you know, in many of our hearts we find hatred, real hatred. Boy, my father did something to me and there's no way I'm going to forgive him, just absolutely no way, and I can't forget it, and this thing is going to live for the rest of my life and it's really taken its toll. Or maybe your husband or maybe your children, or something in your life. I don't know what. You know. And as a result, there's that hatred. Deep down in your heart, there's that hatred. And then you know there's that gossip. Oh, how ladies are so guilty of gossip. Why, if that telephone wire could catch fire for the things that were said over it, it'd probably be smoldering half the time. Isn't that true? It'd probably be smoldering half the time. And so then you wonder when you hang up that telephone why you feel so low, you know, why you feel so low. Do you know that really what started me on talking about depression was a lady that I called when I went back to Regina. And I said, well, how are you, Lorna? And she said, I'm depressed. And I said, now, what are you depressed about, you know? She says, you don't know what depression is like, do you, you know? And I said, yes, I do know what depression is like. And really, I can't tell you to this day whether God set me free because I recognized that I was depressed or because I just recognized that I really needed God in my life. But anyway, you know what sarcasm is? You know that smart remark that comes out before you even think? And you do it to your children all the time. And you do a dandy job of doing it to your husband. You know, that's that sharp cutting remark. Listen, you know what that is? That's anger. And then that unforgiveness. You know, have you said the Lord's Prayer? You probably have. And you have said to the Lord, forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. What are you saying? Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. But in your heart, there's no forgiveness. Listen, I know some people right now, they would say to themselves, boy, I'll tell you before I'm going to pray someone from my family into heaven, they don't deserve heaven. And if they're going to be in heaven, I want God to, you know, have them in another part. Don't want to be together with them there. You know what that is? That's unforgiveness. And listen, you know what you're doing? You're destroying yourself. Do you know that there's a high cost to that? There's a high cost to anger. And you know what it is? One thing is you become completely emotionally upset. You know what it's like when you're mad at somebody all the time? Mad at somebody all the time? You blame it on your change of life and you blame it on everything else going around. Isn't that right? 
and you're mad at somebody. You know what I'm talking about? You're angry and you're, you're, you're upset. And then, you know, people don't want to associate with you. Isn't that right? You become a social outcast and you wonder why. Now, why it is it that people don't invite us to their home? Why, I've had them here. How come they don't invite me to this or to that? And you become a social outcast because people don't want to have company with somebody who's angry all the time. Isn't that right? You know what? Spiritually, we're almost nil. That's right. Spiritually, we're almost nil. We go to church Sunday morning. We wear nice clothes. We sit there and we play church. That's exactly what we do. We sit there and we play church. We live behind a big mask. Nobody can look into your heart, can see what's really there, and yet there you sit. You may even teach a Sunday school class. You may even sing in the choir, and you may even sing like you sang this morning. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just from sin and self-deceit, just from Jesus simply taking life and health and joy and peace. You may even sing that, and you know what it is? Be honest. Remember I asked you to? It's a lie. Nobody wants to be called a liar. I don't. I don't like that word one bit. That really cuts me up, backward and forward. I don't like that. But you know what? When I begin to see that what I'm saying is one thing and what I'm doing is another thing, then I begin to see that that is not true and there's not truth in that. Now, you know what your number one enemy is probably? Not probably, but fear, right? You're afraid of your own shadow. I mean, all people like that, they're afraid, all kinds of them. And, you know, Adam and Eve were afraid, too. You know why they were afraid? Because they disobeyed God and they hid. And that's exactly the basic reason why we're afraid. We take all our direction from our circumstances, and then we're afraid. Now, listen, let me ask you something. Since when? Do Christians take directions from circumstances? But let me ask you another one. They are, aren't they? You know that a man said to me in one of the cities where there's a state hospital, he said to me, you know, it's interesting that so many of the patients in these hospitals are Christians. Can you answer that kind of a thing, That the reason for that? And I said, these people aren't in this hospital because they're Christians. The people are in this hospital because they're guilty, whether they're Christians or not. They have things on their mind, and they can't handle them. And we have great guilt complexes, and some of us have to look way back to where that guilt complex ever started. Now, you may even have gone to a psychiatrist. You may have had all kinds of tests and all kinds of things that, you know, are supposed to help you see your problem. And maybe you even see your problem. And listen, I don't want to say one thing against psychiatrists. I certainly don't, except this, that I think they need the Lord as much as anybody. I really do. And you know, we're taking our directions from the things around us, and we wonder why we go back and go back and go back to our psychiatrists and to our doctors, and we still got our problem. Do you know that there was a lady in Michigan who went to a psychiatrist, and she was faced with a situation where she was so jealous, and it was just destroying her. And she kept going to this psychiatrist, and she had been going two years once a week. Her husband was just about broke, pain. And do you know what she said to me? She said, uh, I said to her, what does your psychiatrist say to you? You know, and she said, he said to me, I have a right to be guilty and to be uh, jealous. Anybody who's faced with the circumstances I am have a right, has a right to be jealous. 
Listen, as a child of God, let me ask you this. Does anybody have a right to be jealous? You answer that. No, of course not. Jealousy is sin. God can take care of a situation, and you know that's exactly what needs to happen. Now, in the midst of all this fear, you know, this fear, then you know when we're afraid of something, then we have doubts. All kinds of doubts. Maybe, maybe this is going to happen. Maybe that's going to happen. What if? What if this happens? You know, what if we go through a red light and somebody bangs into us? What if we get hurt? What if this? What if that? You know, and we live in a world of doubt. And then, you know, we live in a world of indecision. You just can't make a decision. You can't say yes and you can't say no. And, you know, it's an awfully hard thing for your children to know what to do when mother can't make up her mind. You can't say yes and you can't say no. You know, a lady came to me and she said, You know my children watch the worst things on television. They just watch the worst things on television and they won't listen to what I say. I said, Who bought the television? You or they? Well, 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 I did. I said, Well, then you know what to do. Don't expect your children to handle, to handle the television set that you bought. Make up your mind and then do it. If that's what God tells you to do, then you do it. And you know, we live in a state of indecision and we don't know what's right and we don't know what's wrong and we're clamoring around and we just don't know the end from the beginning. And we don't think God does either. And so we're afraid. And then, you know, we get kind of superstitious. Hmm? We get kind of superstitious about things. Ah, that's what I thought would happen. I told you so. The last one, 1 John 3.21. They become depressed. Yes, they become depressed. And you know the cost of depression. You know something about the cost of depression? It ruins your day and it ruins you. And you know the cost of depression is frustration isn't that right? Just frustration. And you know, you're a pessimist. You turn into a pessimist. And you know, depressed people are very lonely individuals. Isn't that true? Very lonely individuals. Now you know they're tired. Depressed people are almost always tired. They haven't got any energy. Can you imagine why, after all I've told you, I tell you, it takes some energy to live in a state of depression. And it's all used up. Now, I say these things to you in love, and I'll tell you why I do, because I really want God to do a work in your heart. I want God to do a miracle in your heart as much as you do. And I want you to see yourself as God sees you, and I want you to know the way out of this depression. And you know, you have no vision when you're depressed, no goals, your housework doesn't even get done, you know. You just couldn't face a project. It would be too much to face a project. And so, you know, there you are. You just are absolutely useless. Isn't that right? You become a weight on some other people or organization or hospital or whatever. And so that's what happens to people when they're depressed. Now, you know, you're very irritable, aren't you? You find yourself you're very irritable? My, the smallest things can upset you. And the best thing to do is to withdraw. Hmm? I know some ladies who got in bed 
There was one in Rides Junction, Michigan. She told me, she said, when I got up in the morning and my husband just couldn't even see how I felt. Of course, mind you, when you get married and you're in love, that makes you a mind reader, doesn't it? <laughs> my husband just couldn't see how I felt, and so I just stayed in bed. I just stayed in bed. And when he said to me, Patsy, why don't you get up? She said, I have a headache. Well, listen, are you getting the picture of what you're doing? You're staying in bed because you don't have a headache, and you said you had a headache, and you never had a headache. And you see how we get ourselves just in a vicious circle. You know what it is? We see our circumstances, and we just can't face them. goes to our mind, and then our emotions right from our heart. We react, you know, and go back from our circumstances to our mind to our heart. Circumstances, emotions to the mind, from the mind to the emotions. We go round and round and round and round like that. Now, how do you get out of a thing like that? How do you get out of a thing like that? You know, we read this morning in Psalm 91, you know, some very beautiful things, very beautiful things. Maybe you need to read that again. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Verses 10 to 15 has something to say about what I'm talking about in depression. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 15. And Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30. You need to read, read that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. You need to read that. Well, you know really what we're doing when we're depressed is we're rebelling. Now, you know, I'll tell you something, mothers. You wonder why we live in a society of rebellious teenagers, don't you? You haven't brought them up that way, have you? I want you to be completely honest, because God's day and God's time is God's time. And, you know, we have a way of putting something very final, but with God it's not like that. And I want to say this to you, regardless of what situation you find yourself with your teenagers today, that God isn't finished with them yet. They're still here, and God is still speaking. But, you know, we wonder why we live in an age of rebellious teenagers. You just got a few answers, didn't you? You just got a few answers about that. And, you know, really, a rebellion, you need some more babysitters? Three more? Did some people forget to go at 11? Good. Fine. Thank you very much. And so, you know, as we rebel and we react to our situation in our deep, deep, deep depression, we begin to see something about our self-pity. Yes, self-pity. And what a destructive thing that is. Always saying to God, why? Why, God? Why me? Why? Why? Instead of saying what to the Lord. What do you want to do with my life, Lord? I want to commit my life to you. And I want to be led and guided and my life to be permeated with the Holy Spirit's presence. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and self-control, and faith. And listen, that's a challenge for 200 years if you live that long. Isn't that true? And you know, God wants to set us free. God wants to set you free. You know, Daniel 
You know the story of Daniel in the lion's den? You think he sat in the lion's den and said, Why God? Why God? You read the story again. And, and they called down, Is everything all right down there, Daniel? Hmm? And Daniel said, Oh, I don't know what's happening to me. Why did God do this to me? No, he didn't. You know the story of the three men in the fiery furnace? You know, these should be illustrations enough for the hundreds of times you've told these stories to your Sunday school children and they've just gone over your head like water off a duck's back. And you've never realized what a tremendous life of faith was represented there. And the story of Paul, you know a lot about Paul. And the story of Joseph, and he was dragged away and made to look as if he was the worst scoundrel. And yet, the time came in his life when he said, to his brothers, you meant it to me for evil, but God meant it to me for good. You know what Romans 8.28 says? All things, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. That isn't some things, and that isn't the nice things. It says all things. God wants us to live by faith. God wants us to live by, by faith. Do you know what the opposite of rebellion is? Submission. The opposite of rebellion is submission. And your first and foremost submission is to God. Have you really ever learned to submit to God and say, God, I know that you're bigger than the problem and the circumstances that I find myself in today? And you know, murmuring. How many, many times in the Old Testament... That was the sin of the children of Israel that kept them out of the promised land, murmuring, murmuring, complaining, how we can complain. And you know, the opposite of murmuring is contentment with rejoicing. That's right, contentment with rejoicing. And you won't find contentment in your circumstances no matter how hard you try. I should know. I come from a family of millionaires. I know what money can buy. I want to tell you something, what I have in my heart today and what God has wrought in my life, you couldn't give me any money anywhere to compare with it. From deep down inside, there's a well of water springing and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're not going to find contentment in your circumstances and you need to face that today. Contentment comes from God from the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and the promises that God has given us, contentment with rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord evermore. And again, I say rejoice. And then, you know, worry. You know, I told you already what the opposite of worry was. The opposite of worry is faith. Faith. Now, when you came into the air today, you sat down on that chair, and I didn't see anybody try the chair, look at the bottom, take it apart, see if the cushion was all right, check the floor, check the stairs. You came in, sat down on the chair, because you believed that the chair would hold you, didn't you? You didn't think the floor was going to let you through. I talked about this the other day, and we say, oh, we have no faith. Listen, we're basically creatures of faith. Where is your faith? In what is your faith? And here we are, children of God, and we have faith in practically anything else, or else, you know, we're so depressed we have none. No faith, past feeling, all these things in our life. And you know, self-pity. 
How is this going to affect me? What's this going to do to me? Oh, poor me. Poor me. Isn't it something how quickly we can think of ourselves? Oh, my, you can sit and cry. My son, I want to tell you, son, you're sure doing something terrible to me. I'm your mom. You sure are treating me terrible. You tell your husband that. You know, you're a poor pastor. He's got to listen to you hours and hours and hours and hours. Listen, let me ask you something today. Are you honest enough to say, I need help? That's the first step. I need help. I have depressions. When I get up in the morning, all it needs to be is a rainy day and I've had it. Hmm? Isn't that true? All that needs to happen is one of my children needs to get up this morning and really wake up with a fever and sick to the stomach and all this kind of thing and I didn't have a good sleep last night and I've had it. Now listen, you know what? We're talking about depressions that are far, far, far deeper than that. We've given in to them completely. Yes. And some of the things I talked to you about earlier, they've taken over your life. They've taken over your life. You've taken your direction from your circumstances. They've gone to the will, and then your heart reacts, and you're just broken in a thousand pieces, and you don't know where to turn anymore. Listen, God wants to set you free. You know, rebellion causes long trails of sorrow, long trails of of broken families and friendships and murmuring. That's like poison, like poison has no place in a spiritual life. Ten times it was named as the outstanding sin in the children of Israel. No gratitude, no thankfulness, and you know that murmuring, I tell you, it spreads like a contagious disease and it's worse than the black plague, murmuring. And worry, you know what that is? It's mental suicide. That's right, it's mental suicide. It just drains all your vitality and your blood and it just wrecks you from any well-being you might have. You're robbed of having a decent sleep, any rest, any joy, and you know what happens? you got no power, no strength, no energy. Gave it all to worry. I really hope that you're getting the picture. And you know, like I told you before, it lets us down. Hebrews chapter 11:5 says, "But without faith, it is impossible to be to please God and to believe that He is." That's right. Without faith, and Romans 8:32 talks about that, and Romans 8:28 talks about that. And I want to tell you something else: that only you, not your psychiatrist, under no circumstances can he touch your self-pity. You won't let him. You've got that guarded. You've got that guarded so well, he can't come near that. If he said you felt sorry for yourself, you wouldn't go back to him anymore. You'd go to somebody else. And you know, it's a very difficult thing to be cured from self-pity because it just humbles you, just breaks you to admit, yes, I'm the most concerned about me. The most concerned about me. And so while you, you know, go on in your self-pity, and the dear old doctor and the pastor and the psychiatrist try to get to the root of your problem, he's patting his pocket, and you feel sorry for yourself. 
I know I'm telling the truth. You maybe not like to hear this, but I know that that's what it is. And God is here to set you free today. You know, we need to submit to God. We want to live a victorious Christian life, and today I want to ask you this. Are you going to set your course? Are you going to set your course and take your directions from what the Holy Spirit says from the Word of God and live by faith and commit your life and all these things that I have talked about, which is nothing less than sin, and call it what God called it, and Christ died for sin. Yes, he did. He shed his precious blood, love that was unselfish for you and for me, for sin, and he wants to set you free. You know, in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 5, it talks about submission. In First Peter 5, verse 5 and 6, it talks about submission. Contentment and rejoicing, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Faith instead of worry, Philippians 4, 6. And all this self-pity, there's so much. Do you know what we need? A standard to live by. Something by which to make decisions. Something right and correct. What's the standard? The Word of God. Not theology in my head. A possession of the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's will. Not my will. Not my will. And you know, you've been broken in body because of your depressions. And, you know, we've lived in a society in this 20th century, and people have called this illness. If someone said to me, it's an illness like diabetes, and I said to him, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. I know there are physical circumstances that are desperately hard to live with, but is it possible? If you read some stories, and if you look back to people like Martha uh, Snell Nicholson, and you see some of those things, you have to say, yes, with God, all things are possible. Do you know that's what Mary said in Luke chapter 2? When the angel came to her and said she was going to give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ, she said, according to thy word, so be it unto me. Isn't that something? A girl no more than 15 years old faced with that? And she said, with God, all things are possible. What's your language? What's your language? Do you mean it? Do you really mean it? You know what? Victory is yours in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's enough for me. Your satisfaction, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ said Paul. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Your strength, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Your supply, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Where do you fit? Where do you fit? I could go on and on and on. I'm sure I could. But where do you fit today? 
Is your life committed? Has God ever really broken your will? Have you ever led him? You see, that's where our decision is made. Right there. Our will. That's where we make our decisions with our will. And I don't know all your circumstances, but God does. Yes, he does. God knows all your circumstances. And I want you to know that regardless of the circumstances that you find yourself in today, no matter how difficult they may be, if you're going to put Christ first in your life, he's going to become all things to you. Your satisfaction, your strength, supply your every need, all these things. But you know what? You have to give up your will. That's right. You have to call sin, sin. And you have to say, I am so sick and tired of being afraid and angry and depressed. I want Christ first in my life. Let me ask you something. Can you think of the fantastic impression that would make on your families? Think of how many children and grandchildren are represented in this one room here. That they could see God set you free from depression and say, you know, I don't know what hit my mom, but she's sure not the same per- person I knew. Just think of what that would do. We live in a society where we are just completely beside ourselves because our children are getting caught up with drugs. But you open the medicine chest and I'll tell you something. I know some people. I met a lady. Ten times she was committed to a mental hospital. 27 tranquilizers a day. That was the least she could get by on. She came to a ladies' meeting with her suitcase packed. She said, now, she said, you're telling me I have to make a choice. And she said, I don't like going to that hospital. I don't enjoy those things, but I don't know what to do. What do you think I should do? I said to her, I think the first thing you should do is go get a big piece of paper and make a sign, this suitcase is not in use anymore, and paste it on the lid and close it and not look at it anymore. That means you wouldn't have your things ready to go to the hospital. And she says, oh, I always have this ready to go. I never know when I'm going to go. I always have this ready just in case I have to go. That's faith, isn't it? Have your suitcase packed, ready to go to the hospital just in case. Listen, let me ask you something. Isn't it about time that every one of us, and me too, I'm speaking to myself as much as I am speaking to you, said to the Lord, I am sick and tired of my big old selfish self and all this self-pity and worry and anxiety and jealousy and hatred and all these things that are in my life, and I want God to set me free. Is that where you find yourself tonight? You know, again, I want to sing that song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, because I just love that song. I think I sing it almost every lady's meeting. I was looking at a song in the book today that says, Why Not Now? Why not now? You know, we always sing that song when we have when we have an evangelistic crusade. That's when we sing that song. And I want to tell you something about what it says in that in that song. And it just may it just may suit your life tonight today. While we pray and while we plead, while you see your soul's deep need, while your father calls you, will you not, my sister, come? You have wandered far away. Do not risk another day. 
Do not turn from God your face, but today accept his grace. In the world you fail to find aught of peace for your troubled mind. Come to Christ, on him believe. Peace and joy you shall receive. Come to Christ, confession make. Come to Christ and pardon take. Trust in him from day to day. He will keep you all the way. I thought, you know, that's quite a song. We sing that in meetings. When we want people to accept the Lord, we work hard in our crusades where we have evangelism. People want to get saved. But I'll tell you something what happens to the new Christians. They got a backslide before they got any fellowship with Christians. That's just about where we are because we don't have time for anything but our own big selfish self. Isn't that true? I know that's not true of everybody, but I tell you today as we talked about this depression, today as we talked about this, I'm sure that you've seen some things in your life. And today I want to ask you if you're going to be willing to get on your knees and talk to God. That's right. That's what you need to do. I don't know how many ladies here today have things in their life that we've covered, but I'll tell you something. This is the place to leave them. I don't know, but why don't you find that song in the book, uh, Have Thine Own Way, Lord? And again, I ask you to be honest and sing that song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. You know the song. You know, right up the back steps, you can go. You can go here, too, up here. And you know what? Upstairs, there's some very nice benches. They're a very good place. You can kneel there, and you can talk to God. And we want to pray together today, and we really want to meet God in no uncertain terms. No uncertain terms, but deal thoroughly with the problems that beset us. And as we sing that song today and let's bow our heads and close our eyes and prayerfully sing that song, and as we do, I want to ask you today, does God need to meet you on depression? Don't stay where you are. You get up and get on your knees and God is going to meet you and God is going to set you free today. We take our direction from God not from our circumstances. And as we sing this prayerfully, and you need to go, don't you pay a bit of attention to anybody else. You listen to God's voice and say, I want God to set me free. I want God's way, and not mine. Let's sing. Have thine own just now, as in thy presence, humbly, 
humbly I bow. recording perhaps God has spoken to you why not get down on your knees wherever you are and talk to God he will meet you as you give yourself to him <laughs> 